everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 152nd episode of Make Ours Marvel, the podcast that takes you through all of the superhero adventures of the Marvel superhero universe. Starting at the beginning, we started with the Fantastic Four number one from 1961, and we are all the way up to the uh, middle of April 1967. We're going to be uh, covering four issues from the week of April 11th, those Mm -hmm. being the X-Men 33, Tales to Astonish 93, Daredevil 29, and Fantastic Four 64. All right. Is there any business or should we just get right on into it? You know, I was thinking that, um, yeah, let's just get in. Okay. X-Men for me then. Yay. Number 33. In this ish, don't miss the fleeting but fateful appearance of, I'm not going to say. It's a freewheeling fight to the finished when Marvel's magnificent mutants tackle the fearsome juggernaut. Uh. Okay. So it's called Into the Crimson Cosmos, if I didn't say that already, but I think I just did. Enter the juggernaut and just for a switch, let's say we let our vituperate. Sure. Villain recount the action last ish for those forgetful ones among us. Well, basically, he's recounting that he's awake and he's looking for factor three and they're in his head and he needs an airplane or something like that. Um, A capricious compendium of mighty Marvel milestones. Never has Stanley edited a more senses shattering saga. Never have Roy Thomas and Werner Roth co-produced a more mind staggering masterpiece. Never has John Tartaglioni delineated a more earth-shaking epic, and never has Sam Rosen lettered, learned to spell Sitorek. 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 So, so real quick, vituperate means censured or disparaged. So we're going to oh. let our put-upon-never-gets-to-talk villain to do the okay. synopsis. He does an awful lot of talking. But anyway, so yeah, he's on his way to a plane – For some reason, the army decides to send two dudes to try and stop him. Guess what? It doesn't work. Meanwhile, back at the home base, I guess Professor X is unconscious. I totally don't even remember that happening, but I guess it happened. Um, And all the X-Men are like standing around his bed. They find this cool 60s doohickey that they can put on Jean Grey to like amplify her telepathy. And she gets into Professor X's mind and somehow he has a memory of like – a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. I don't remember what it was. A ridiculously long time ago. Uh, and his memories are all about the ancient one. <sighs> I forgot about this issue. This issue is all about magic, guys. And I hate describing magic, so I don't even really know what happens. But the ancient one, back in the day before he was so ancient, kind of looking like Samurai Jack, uh, is traveling around. And he comes across the ruby of the Crimson Bands. And he's like, I always wondered why nobody ever just grabs this thing. And just as he's wondering that... This bean comes out, this monster, and says, I'm here. I was put here by uh, Sidorak, I guess, to, yes. guard, to guard the bands. And then he attacks Ancient One, and the Ancient One's like, dude, I don't even want to touch the bands. Why don't you live in them? And he uses his cool power, magic power, to banish the creature into the ruby of Sidorak. Are we with it so far? Okay. Yes. So somehow Professor X knows all about that. Maybe because he was just mind-melding with Juggernaut earlier and Juggernaut has that history in his head or something. I don't know. I don't think they even explain it. That's but what anyway, they suggest. But it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that's what they suggest. Yeah. So anyway, they uh, they decide to put these machines together that the Juggernaut beat up. And these machines combined with Cerebro make an even better Cerebro. 
and they decide we're going to call out for this ancient one guy because he seems like he's immortal or something. And they call, and they don't quite get that as an answer, but they do get the next closest thing, and suddenly, Doctor Strange! There was the hint on the cover. Doctor Strange phases through the wall in his ectoplasmic form, um, and they're all like, hey, Charles did that first. No. Um, mm-hmm. Or did he? I can't remember. But anyway, he's like, what are you guys somebody me for? And they explain the situation. And then Doctor Strange says, okay, I need to send – I'll send two of you – this is the part where I'm not really getting it. But like I'll send two of you to go get the ruby and that will somehow help you with the juggernaut. And Cyclops has to make a leader decision and he picks Jean and he's like, did I pick her because I have the hots for her? And Jean's like, oh, God, please – I hope he picked me because he has the hots for me. And then Dr. Strange is like, you have an hour, and then you die. By the way, I'm really busy trying to save the world right now. Please read my comic books. And so he disappears, and they disappear. And they go to wherever the Sidorak Ruby thing is. They get attacked by some traveling army, but they make mincemeat out of them. And then they go to the Ruby, and the Ruby like sucks them in to the Ruby world. And that monster's there, and he, he now calls himself Outcast, I guess, after billions of years, he decided to give himself a name. Um, and they fight, God, they fight like magic style, you know, where like none of it really matters. Like, I'll shoot my bands. Oh, I'll shoot you back. I'll shoot my circles. I'll shoot you back. Um, and then ultimately, they find out Outcast has like a weakness for timepieces or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, Jean Grey uses her telepathy to hover like a watch, a wristwatch in front of him, and that just freaks him out because I guess there's no time in the Ruby world. So it just totally ruins his cool. And he pushes them out or they somehow escape and they get what they call – they call it the Ruby prototype. And that's the part I'm kind of not getting. But anyway, the uh, spell is then reversed or whatever because it's been an hour and they go back to the X-Mansion and they jump in one of those – airplanes that Bobby painted an X on, um, and they go find the rest of the X-Men who have been fighting the Juggernaut the entire time. He's like trying to make his way to a plane so he can get to Factor 3 or whatever, and they're fighting him, and they're not doing very well because not only is he physically amazing, but now he also has telepathy. Anyway, or, uh, Cyclops and Marvel Girl show up. They have this Ruby prototype. They find that when they hover it near Juggernaut, it starts sucking his power. He doesn't like that, so he grabs it, which is a big mistake because now he can't seem to let it go. And it envelops him in this weird pink radiation. And it goes, foom, and he's gone. He disappeared. Did he die? They don't know. They're like, well, that was cool. That's what it's like to have a weird Doctor Strange adventure that doesn't make sense. Neat. And then they go back home. And Professor X is missing, and they surmise the oh, this whole thing was set up by Factor 3 to get us out of here so that they could take our professor. Next issue, the extraordinary X-Men versus Mole Man and Tyrannus, or what to do till Factor 3 comes. So a couple things just to kind of supplement that. Okay, Because, yeah, great. there's just a lot of, you know, much to do about, you know, magic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ruby prototype was like, there is a Ruby in the real world that mm-hmm. I guess – is a manifestation of the ruby that's in the magic dimension. Alrighty. So they go to the magic dimension to get the magic dimension version of the ruby. I see. So that whatever uh, juggernaut touches it, it will undo his powers or something. I got it. Because prototype sounds totally magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's the logic of the story. Now, why that works, I don't know. And the timepiece was just like, 
oh my god, he looks at a watch, and so he must age all of his hundreds of years that he's been stuck in there. Yeah, he suddenly realizes time exists, and he's he has to obey the laws of time. Yeah, I guess. I guess. How did they? Ugh. Man, we just had a couple good X Men issues, and then it's just like this. But oh well. Well, I like the bit with the Juggernaut. He's, it's fine. I mean, it's a Juggernaut fight, but he gets to play yeah. in a larger arena in this one. It gets to show how powerful he is more, I think, yeah. than we saw before. Mm-hmm. So I liked that. He's talking weird, though, but that's been happening lately with all these, like the Sandman and Juggernaut and people of low, low, uh, low, lower intelligence. I, to say? I don't want to say low intelligence because just because you speak how you speak doesn't mean you don't have intelligence, but you know, not grammatically correct, I guess, or right from a different a l- part of the street. Yeah. Um, and, this, and, 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 and yeah, and he, he doesn't seem to be doing that, but none of them do lately. So I don't know what's the deal with that. Well, here you could blame it on the different scripter because Roy Thomas has taken over a few issues ago, but you can't really use that to extend a fantastic four and that sort of thing. So I don't know. Maybe the fact that three like too. changed his brain or something. Mm. I don't know. Um, I like so, the uh, I like the doohickey on her head. I thought that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, it lets her scan his mind, mm-hmm. and they're kind of like you know, they're like, I guess he learned this because he was hooked up to Kane Marco, and Kane yeah, Marco knows. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. But what does that even true? Does Kane Marco really know? I guess if you're possessed by this thing, you know the whole history of it or something. I mean, that he did have work, an encounter with it, so it, it's kind of useless information. So if he knows it, like, what's he going to do with it? Mm-hmm. But cool that the ancient one made um, a guest appearance. Yeah, they tied it back. They they made a reference to his um his origin story because remember whenever mm-hmm. Kalu, his old classmate, uh-huh. was about to attack, and yeah. he decided there's very little time, so let's tell a story. Yeah, and we found out that he and Kalu were born in this land high in the Himalayas called Kamartaj, which he mentions here. But mm-hmm. he, for some reason, he is left there to come to this other place that's in what's going to be modern day Korea. I believe it in his origin story he ended up wandering, but I can't remember why. Just like their whole town was destroyed or something. Right. Um, yeah. And and he comes across Zorak, who is the guardian of Sidorak's ruby, because Sidorak was banished from the earth like even longer ago. And we don't know why, but there's this guardian monster and he gets trapped in the ruby for hundreds of years until today. Yes. And that's the ruby that Juggernaut touched? That's the ruby that Juggernaut touched. But he left it there. So they get- or did I they go back so. in time? No, no, they just go into the they go into the ruby to look at Zorak and to extract his, the ruby from the ruby. Right, his proto ruby. <laughs> Gotta have that yeah. looked at. Yeah, they call the ancient one. I'm like, too bad he's dead. Yeah, this is like the first. Uh, well, I was gonna say the first Cerebro, but it's still not really acting like Cerebro. But it's getting like bigger now. It's not just a desk. With a little pen on it that writes names. Like they attached it to this giant computer. And I love and, how the teenagers just, you know, just fix it. And they, well, maybe Beast is smart enough to do it or something. I don't know. It's still not working. Like I don't think Cerebro can, should be able to call Doctor Strange like a telephone. But hey, especially without a telepath. The whole point is that a telepath is supposed to use it, right? And that has not really been the case so far. Well, actually, actually, so far, it's been the opposite. The original mm-hmm. idea of Cerebro was that it was something that others could use right. when Xavier wasn't around. Yeah, but then eventually, at least the iconic version is it's, it amplifies Xavier's ability to reach out and right. find people. So I don't know when it's going to make that shift, if it's like Claremont era or what. Because right now, yeah. it's still just a mutant locator. But it... 
it's not really a mutant locator and it doesn't really know how to do its job. And now it's trying to find the ancient one, but it doesn't know how to. And so it finds Doctor Strange instead. It's not really about specifically mutants. Like it's not looking just for like mutant genes because it has found, in this case, Doctor Strange. In the past, I think Juggernaut's thing, you know, Juggernaut's existence woke it up. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just like, it's like a people finder, not more so than a mutant finder. A plot device finder. A plot device finder, right. They say that Doctor Strange has a sepulchral voice. So Mm. does he have a really spooky voice when he's in his ghosty form? Why have you summoned me thus? Could be. Or some sort of weird spiritual echo or something. Yeah. That's weird. Cyclops' visors get more and more bonkers, isn't it? Look at that, page seven. That's weird. Yeah, it's a pretty notable visor. It's like really large. Like... (laughs) I don't know if he was just having trouble seeing, and so they made it really, really big. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't but. like contour anymore. It's like this giant brick on his face. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I was thinking, um, whenever he's like, I don't know if I should pick her, but I love her and I want to pick her. And I'm like, pick your crush, Cyclops. Pick her. She wants you to pick her, so pick her. I say that's the perks of being a leader, and there's not a lot of perks, so go ahead and use it. Right. In middle school, you know, teachers are always separating people from the people they like. And I'm kind of the opposite. As long as you're behaving, I like people to sit next to people they want to sit next to. So well, when I was coaching the, Little League, I'd let my son play first base more than other kids because screw it. None, <laughs> of you wanted, none of you wanted to coach Little League, and this sucks. So I had to volunteer. So that's the one perk is I get to assign kids where I want. <laughs> it's Yep, them's the perks. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Strange gives Cyclops and Jean a chant to chant. Oh, and gosh, one of the things they, they call upon is yeah. Dread Dormammu's deadly twin. And I'm like, hey, we know hey, who she is. Hey, Umar. This doesn't rhyme, I, did, I guess. I didn't know he had a twin until we started doing this read through. But yeah. Yeah. Is she dead? What happened to her? I can't remember. Um, She so ran to hide when she saw Zom. Zom, then his top knot. Yeah. She's like, I can't do that. Got to go. Okay, so uh, the X Men now have a helicopter with an X on it and a jet with an X on it, but still For no Blackbird. All of your all of your needs, no Blackbird yet. No Blackbird. Still waiting. There's no. We have not had an iconic vehicle yet, like in anywhere. We've had some dabbling here and there, but nothing set. The Avengers are referring to their vehicle consistently as an aero car, but I'm not sure that it's a consistent design. Oh, I guess we've I had the Fantastic attention. Car. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. that goes all the way back to issue three. The bathtub yeah, yeah. version and then the the, bathtub, um, yeah. the 60s version after that. Uh, we haven't got the Hemi version. Yet. So I'll confess, I don't really think about Juggernaut's force field that often. I think mm. of him as being the unstoppable Juggernaut because once he gets going, he can't be stopped. Mm. Like the op- like sort of the opposite of the blob mm-hmm. who can't be moved. Juggernaut can't be stopped. Right. Um, but yeah, evidently is a force field that protects him from stuff. Also, I looked up the word origin again. And mm-hmm. don't tell Kane Marco, but the original root word for Juggernaut literally means Lord of the World in Hindi. Mm. So um, don't let him know that. He'll get a big head. Yeah, bigger than he already has. And you know, they stopped aliens at this, which is what the X-Men were formed to do. Great. So they feel fulfilled. I am kind of wondering at this point what Factor 3 is, but I have a feeling it's going to be horribly disappointing. I hope it's not disappointing. It is definitely a thing. Okay. That takes a couple issues to resolve. Like they get to this big, you know, build up the story arc. I don't mm. remember how it exactly plays out. I just remember it being like, you know, a big chunk of story. I feel like um, uh, Mole Man and Tyrannus has nothing to do with it. So that means next issue we will not be finding out who Factor Three is. 
<laughs> but we'll see. They are sort of taking their time with it, are they? They're stretching this out. Mm-hmm. Like, it's X-Men 33. Okay, X-Men 33. I know that X-Men 27 is where they had the little Spider-Man run in, and they uh-huh. found him when they were looking for Factor 3. Oh, gosh. Really? Wow. Uh-huh. And we're going to have another Spider-Man appearance in 35, because he's on the cover <laughs> of that one. Maybe Spider-Man's in Factor 3. They wonder. Yeah. And they're still looking for mutants, and they think that he's a mutant, and they think that he's a mutant spider. Anyway, um, I don't know what else I have. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool that they don't even care about the Juggernaut. Like, Factor X Factor 3 doesn't. They don't. They just use the Juggernaut to draw the X-Men away from the professor. The X-Men so don't that, care either, and that's their professor's brother. Yeah, but Charles hasn't really shown a lot of affection for him either. No, that's true. That's what that's what that's what Charles gets for not letting him in on the plan in the first place. When you keep your brother in the basement and you don't tell everyone about it. Yeah. Oh wait, wait. The dimensional ruby and the juggernaut—they disappeared. They can only have been transported to the. Oh, I guess they'd assume it went into the crimson crimson cosmos. So they don't think Inside he's dead. The bands. Yeah. They think he's just going to rule another reality. So, oh, well. Okay, because the outcast did age and die. Now Juggernaut can go be the new Lord of Limbo. I bet that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. So X-Men versus Mole Man and Tyrannus, which means I probably should go reread that last Hulk story that had them oh, in it. Oh, the two underground villains that we love so much. Mm. I like the idea of Tyrannus more than the idea of the Mole Man. We'll see if they do anything oh, with yeah. it next issue. I thought Tyrannus was aged to death or something, that last story. But, yeah, I don't remember either. Well, don't look now, Mike. That was the halfway point of the series. Of of X-Men? Mm-hmm. That's not possible. X-Men only has 66 issues. Oh, you mean the original original? Mm-hmm. Well, it stays X-Men even after it's uncanny, doesn't it? Like, well, it, technically? It, it gets canceled at 66. Oh. And then it starts over with number one? No, it keeps on going huh. as reprints for five years. Oh. But as far as the X-Men original series... And then giant-sized X-Men kicks it all off again. Yeah, years later. But then does it continue the numbering? Yeah. So it gets canceled. Okay. Uh-huh. And then after about six months, they revive it as a bi-monthly reprint book. Mm. And that goes around the time of 93, they put out Giant Size 1. And they were going to do Giant Size 2. But instead, they just took that story into X-Men and continued the uh, numbering where they left off with the reprints with 94. I've seen that on Twitter every once in a while because there's all these X-Men fans and there's like, what? Post the issue of X-Men that came out when you were born. It's like, nope, there wasn't one. They skipped it that month because that was like <laughs> right before Giant Size X-Men came out. So no X-Men for me. Sorry, no X-Men for you. That's all right. But we do have Silver Surfer and Hulk. Yeah, thank God this cover wasn't the last issue, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it totally could have been. Yeah, they would do that. Been. Yeah. But before we get to those guys, we have the monarch and the monster. Um, I was wondering something, and I don't know that you have an answer because I haven't run this by you or anything. But I happen to be looking at Tales of Suspense '99 today. Oh, and it, and it's an Iron Man cover. And if every okay. ever, if every other one is Cap, Iron Man, Cap, Iron Man, did they make Cap the number one hundred because Cap was next? And if so, is that true of also Tales to Astonish and Strange Tales? Is that was that their decision making process for who got a number one and who got to carry on the number? That is a very interesting question. But I it's didn't what, look. It's one of the nerdier <laughs> questions we brought up on this show, but I am actually <laughs> legitimately curious because they had to decide, right? Somebody gets yeah. the, the number and somebody gets a new number one. Who is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So that could be how. But I didn't verify the other ones, so I don't know. Also, for some reason, right towards the end of the runs, they start changing who gets the lead spot in the book. 
Mm. They start going back and forth. And I think they only go back and forth like once or twice, but they do go back and forth. And then they change the format and get separate books. Anyways, we'll find that out when we get there because it's it's not too far oh. away. This is 93 and we're going to 101, right? That's so right. 10 more issues after this? No, mm-hmm. eight. Eight more issues after this. Talk about your latent hostilities department. It, the mute but menacing creature that walks like a man, talks like a man, has been attacked by an American sub whose crew think he is a submariner. But just as a deadly torpedo is fired, the real Namor arrives on the scene to do battle with it, whom he mistakes for a human-controlled robot. And if you think you could synopsize last issue's thriller in fewer words, you're welcome to try, Charlie. Professor Xavier I don't says, think, I don't think we did. Nope, nope. Okay, so they're fighting. The torpedo that the uh, humans launched misses them. Smiling Stanley imperiously presents a sub-oceanic struggle of monumental magnitude by rascally Roy Thomas and dapper Dan Adkins. Oh, yes. Oh. And for your credit completists out there in Marvel Land, it was lettered by adorable Artie Simic. All right. So Namor and it fight. And rocks fall on them uh, from the explosion of the torpedo. This big cliff falls down on it. Namor gets away. He swims out. But it is underneath this cliff. And he's trying to get out from underneath it. Because he's got to get the radioactive isotope to his Aunt May. And he's (laughs) trying. And he's trying. He just can't lift the rocks. But then he thinks about Uncle Ben and all those people who love him. And with, with one last great effort, he triumphs and shouts, kill, kill, kill. Literally, yeah. y'all, that's the art. He, he um, is the radioactive isotope. He is. A, that's right, because he's radioactive from the uh, atomic blast last issue. So Namor goes after the submarine. He punches it. It springs a leak. Um, it comes after Namor. They fight on the surface of the submarine. Namor totally kicks it in the face. It plunges through the wall of the submarine. And the submarine people are like, oh, Namor wasn't attacking us. He was actually trying to stop the orange monster that is now sticking into the side of our hull. Um, somebody go apologize to Namor because uh, we're sorry. Namor's like, yeah, forget this. I'm going to go home. Swims by the octopus. Hey, Topo. Flies <laughs> home. And uh, in Atlantis. Oh, here's the thing. He got covered in radiation. Mm-hmm. So he is like doing badly. So he goes to the doctor and they're like, okay, we're going to fix you with this Vita Ray or whatever. He wakes up and Dorma's there looking very different because her face is being drawn very differently now. And uh, she's like, oh, good, you're alive. He's like, yes, I'm alive. The danger is past, but only for me. There's still a danger to my kingdom. Like, no, 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 you took care of the robot. No, not the robot. Those stupid humans. We're calling a council of war. Next-ish, the call to battle. Yeah. Why did he get to do the Spider-Man move? Why was that a thing? <sighs> because the artist had to rip off somebody? I don't know. I mean, Spider-Man has done the Spider-Man move a few times over the years. Is they this our first Dan scene. Atkins? No, we've had Dan Atkins. I think we had him last oh, issue. Okay. We talked We talked to him about a little bit. I want to bring him his credits. Yeah, right. We did. This last issue was his first, his first uh, credit for us. Um, yeah, that was pretty, I mean, there's a history of comic artists ripping off or paying homage to comic artists. So, but yeah, this was totally that Spider-Man scene. I didn't compare it, but it seemed very much the same. Mm. I did not note last issue that Dan Adkins 
was new, and I probably should have. Actually, it's been two issues ago. 91 was his first. Did I mention that oh, there? I thought was, we looked up his credits and found that that was his first run. Maybe that was somebody else. And just scrolling back through the through the thing. I passed the Sonish 91. There it is. Oh, yeah, because he's only had them swimming in space. Yeah, I didn't mention it either. Um, so, yeah, he is his first Marvel. He's been doing comics for a very short time. Lots of stuff over at Warren and Tower. So Thunder Agents issues and creepy, eerie issues, those kinds of things. And he's going to do a lot of Doctor uh, Strange and Submariner for a while. And then he basically becomes a big inker over other people's stuff. And we'll see him on Hulk and Captain Marvel and other things. He has a pretty long history as an inker. It makes me sad that there's a Submariner for a while because... I read this, and not that I hated it, but I kind of just left it thinking, you know, I think I've decided that Submariner doesn't need to be the title of a book. I was having the same thought during this issue. That's interesting. Because, you know, Doctor Strange, Mm -hmm. I don't always love, but I can see its purpose. It's a type of storytelling that I want to enjoy. And Namor, I don't really know that I want or need Namor. Now, that said, I haven't read any of his Golden Age, and of course, he was very popular then, so maybe Mm -hmm. it was just a different time. And I have read his 90s series, and I loved that. So I don't think it's maybe the character, but I feel like I like Namor as a character, and on this show, when he's guest starred in the Fantastic Four X-Men, I enjoyed it immensely. Mm -hmm. But ever since he's had his own book, like it's just kind of ho-hum. Like I'd rather he would just be a guest star occasionally or something. Yeah, I think he exists better off the page and shows up. Like the last good story with Submariner was the one he was just in with the Avengers. <laughs> and that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't his story. So right. He just got to be the pseudo villain in that. And it was- when he intersected with um, the in- the reintroduction of Hank and Jan. Yeah, and he fought cool. Hercules and all. Oh, no. I mean, recent reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the recent, but also going back to the Oh, other yeah. One. Yeah, that was good stuff, too. Yeah, I, um, I mean... He doesn't last forever. These Every comic we're reading right now lasts a really long time, mm-hmm. except for X-Men, and then later on, Namor, and then later on, Sergeant Fury. But pretty much, you know, everything we're reading lasts a really, really long time. Those are the only three that really get canceled. They just not. I feel like they just don't know what to do with them, because I feel like this just gets going back and forth, kind of like, is he going to attack the sea? Is he going to attack the service world? Nope. Yes, he. Nope. Yes, he. Nope. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The only two notes I had on this were nothing to do with Namor. They were just have to do the elements of the story. Um, uh-huh. He gets radiation sickness or damage uh-huh. and not for nothing, but it, I thought it might be worth pointing out that, you know, radiation is actually permanent damage to your uh-huh. body's tissues. You yeah. can't, you, you usually, if it's bad enough to make you ill, you can't recover from it. And it's usually fatal. So the well, fact that he just like goes and gets zapped by a ray is, you know, comics, but yeah, they have their own technology and we don't know what kind of healing ability he has. And, I guess. Um, like I imagine Wolverine could recover from radiation, but mm, yeah, yeah, I guess I he know. could. If you shoot with Wolverine know. rays. Do you think a submarine could recover from a giant monster being Winnie the Pooh into their hole? No, I think they need to surface <laughs> and quickly and get off that ship. I think they should be dying, right? I don't know. Like water should be splooshing in around the edges of it. Because his shoulders had to get through, which means the hole is bigger than his torso. And it kind, sho- of, it kind of shows little bits of water, I think. But it should be like 
gushing, right? I don't yeah, know. yeah, they should be having some major problems and getting out of there as soon as possible. I, I um, think it's kind of cool that the humans figured out that Submariner was an okay guy, but Submariner never got that confirmation. So according to – as far as he's concerned, that it monster was, was a human yeah. concoction. Yeah, so that's dramatic irony there, right? Right, and that's why he's I, – I, that's why I assume he is calling his council of war – because they got attacked like, by a radioactive robot. Because humans have radioactive robots now. We got to do something about this. Now, I love octopuses. I really mm. do. They're my favorite animal. Really? They, okay. Yeah, they're also mostly pretty small. Mm-hmm. Their tentacles make them seem a lot bigger because they go so long compared to like the core body. And so a giant octopus, mm-hmm. at least the ones in, in reality, aren't actually super big. Their tentacles mm. go on forever. Mm-hmm. But the giant Pacific octopus, the largest known breed, the mm-hmm. central core of the body is smaller than an adult human. Okay. With its tentacles, um, there was, they caught one that weighed 150 pounds. So, I mean, compared to a human, it's almost as big as an adult human. You wouldn't want to meet one in the water and feel super comfortable. But as far as like as big as it is here or like in the, in the movies where octopuses attack ships and stuff, no, that is not a thing. It's like a large dog with 15-foot tentacles. And do they eat Atlanteans normally? Because Namor's like, I'll fight you later. And I'm thinking, think just so. leave him alone. He's just a, doing his thing. Yeah, just just let him be there. He's waiting for Aquaman to come by. Um, now, what about squid? Because 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea would have me believe that they are submarine-sized. I or? think giant squid, um, the because they have like a crustacean shell on the outside. Uh-huh. And I think that can be like longer than an adult human. Uh-huh. But still, when they're talking about like size of animals, mm. that's not really that big. Right. I could be wrong. Though. I didn't look up squids. Probably not submarine size. Probably not. Silver Surfer? Silver Hulk? <laughs> <laughs> yes, either way. I said Silver Surfer. I was like, ooh, I want a Silver Surfer comic, which we'll get one, but not yet. Which we will. We will. He who strikes the Silver Surfer, thinking he has sighted a flying saucer? The world's strongest mortal pursues it. Ooh, flying saucer. Hoping to be taken to some far distant planet where he will be hounded no longer. But the Hulk's desperate wish to... It turns to seething rage when he learns that he has found, instead, the Silver Surfer. Hulkily presented by Smilin' Stan Lee and Mirthful Marie Severin, Masters of Hulkology. Hulk amorously inked by Frank Jacoya. Hulkifically lettered by Artie Simic. This is smurferific, y'all. It's the action epic of the year, so let's not waste a smashing, shocking second of it. Silver Surfer and Hulk fight. And Silver Surfer says, we don't have to fight. And Hulk says, I totally want to fight you. So they fight. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, army people who are on the lookout, is that Talbot or just somebody? Somebody. uh, No, it's a a police officer. Police officers find the Hulk... Uh, knocked down by the Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer whumped him pretty good, and they call in for backup, and they even get, like, some um, flamethrower guns while Hulk is recovering from his whump. So they have him surrounded with fire, and Silver Surfer starts to fly away, and he's like, oh, no, the Hulk's in trouble. Let me go back and grab him. So he goes down and grabs the Hulk, takes him away, and says, okay, I can't leave the planet. You want to go to space? I can't go to space. <laughs> Galactus said, I'm not allowed to. Hulk's like, why are you lying to me? You look like a spaceship. So Silver Surfer says, all right, you know what? You are just going to go to this forest right now. 
So go stay in the forest. Hulk's like, yeah, but I got your board. And Silverstone's like, no, you can't. My board is mine. Stop it. He takes the board back. Hulk grabs a rock out of the big mountain and throws it Silver Surfer. And Silver Surfer doesn't flinch. And um, Hulk, basically, Silver Surfer scans his brain and says, oh, my gosh, you have a lot going on. I bet you I can take your Hulkness out of your mind, uh, bleed your body dry of all gamma cells, and you'll be normal again. So he thinks about all this while Hulk is, again, recovering from a big whump. But he wakes up just as Silver Surfer is reaching toward his face. And he's like, no, you can't do that to me. And Silver Surfer's like, you know what? Whatever. You're a monster <laughs> inside and out. So I'm done. I'm leaving. And Hulk raises his hand. I'm trapped on Earth forever. But someday I'll find him. I'll make him take me out there among the stars where frightened men will hound me no more. Next, the new man. Yay, this was fun. I liked it. I liked this too. I am loving me some Severin Hulk. It's not every character who could just find the Hulk mildly annoying. <laughs> but Barely that's, an inconvenience. <laughs> that's, basic, that's basically what Silver Surfer was this entire issue. It's just like, oh my God, you're so annoying. <laughs> this Hulk wants to be sent to another world, but it's uh-huh. happened before and it's going to happen again. And he's not too keen on it when it happens. Well, yeah, there is that whole business about him becoming a war hulk or whatever, but Mhm. Um I don't know. Yeah, I think it's kind of adorable how like the Hulk wants the one thing the Silver Surfer can't do. Take him into space. He can't leave. Just <laughs> like yeah. tells him 58 times. I said, "No, seriously, I can't leave." You lie. No, really. I just can't leave. He's like, "Nobody refuses the Hulk." And I'm like, "Actually, dude, people refuse you all the time." Yeah. Yeah. Um, at one point, Doc, uh, the Hulk takes Silver Surfer's board, and Silver Surfer says, nobody can command it but me. And mm-hmm. my first reaction was, no, Doctor Doom was able to command it. Yeah. But yep. I remember that that was when Doctor Doom had the Surfer's power. Yeah, he still had to steal the power first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he got hurt, the board went right back to Silver Surfer. So, Right. Ideally, I guess the board wants to be with Surfer. You mentioned last issue at the cliffhanger that these are two of the defenders, and I thought, uh-huh. so... I was trying to figure out if these are the first two defenders to meet. And we had Hulk and Namor get really close to each other, but I don't think they ever actually... No, they did meet way back in Avengers 3, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Okay. So the episode title for this episode is a little bit off, but you know what? This feels a lot more like first defenders meeting than um, Avengers 3 felt. So Does Doctor Strange not meet Namor, Hulk, or Silver Surfer yet? He hasn't, right? He doesn't get out much. He does not get out much. He doesn't get even out of his title very much. He's um, met Fantastic Four. He's met Thor, sort of. Mm-hmm. He's met what the else? X-Men now. Oh, he's met the X-Men now. Is that it, really? Johnny Spider-Man. and the Thing. Spider-Man. Animal that you hate. Yep. Hate's a strong word, but don't well, like it yet. Well, dislike. Um, yeah. But he's never met a Hulk yet. I like how the Silver Surfer feels sorry for Hulk and like rescues him from the cops who probably couldn't have hurt him anyway, but that was a cool little moment. My brain started uh, thinking about the time sca- uh, time lapse there because like they see the Hulk and then they call for backup. Mm. So and then the backup arrives in the space of a couple of panels, and then the Silver Surfer flies away and looks back and sees that they're attacking the Hulk. So I'm like, that was a lot of time must have gone by, which begs the question: What was the Silver Surfer doing that whole time? Which one of you cops has Don Blake in the back seat? Bring th- bring him too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just bring him everywhere now. So I, I have started reading the next issue blob, blob, blurb boxes at the end of the letters pages. 
Oh. And based on that, they don't say, but I'm thinking that the new man might be the absorbing man. That's a guess. Oh, against the Hulk? Mm-hmm. That Dude, Silver Surfer could have cured Hulk, which means he could cure Hulk any time. Oh, he could cure Hulk. Like, wow. I only thought of that because you said absorbing man, and then I thought, does that mean he's going to absorb gamma radiation, which is what the Silver Surfer wanted to do. But he doesn't absorb it like take it from people. He just copies it, I guess. Or does right. he? He doesn't sap Thor's strength. He just equals it. Yeah, he doesn't bleed it off. He's not weakening Thor by taking he's his not, strength. He's not the parasite. No. He's he's uh, he's just duplicating. He's the duplicating man. Speaking of two men that, and, uh, that aren't. Lady? Two men and a little lady. That was three men and a little lady. That was the name of the. Yeah, yeah. Three men and a little lady. Three men and a baby. Three men and a little lady. Yep. But I was thinking more like Matt and Mike Murdoch, those Rascalian brothers. Oh, yeah, because they, ex- they don't both exist. <laughs> and I but, think that Matt is losing sight of that. <laughs> Daredevil, number 20 mine, 20 mine, 29, Unmasked. I've seen this cover a billion times, and I've never read this issue. We're getting into that kind of that era now where it's like a lot of cool classic covers that I've never read, which is sort of exciting, like to mm-hmm. actually read the inside. Um, I think the inside wasn't as exciting as this cover, but we'll see. Okay. In which Didi is unmasked, in which Didi is captured by the heinous hirelings of the heartless hood they call the boss, garnished with greatness and glazed with glory by Smile and Stan Lee and Genial Gene Colon, inked by John Tartaglioni, lettered by Sam Rosen. So Matt has decided it's time to propose to Karen. But um, based on nothing, I'm trying to like they've never even dated or anything. Um, but he can't decide if it should be he should propose as Matt or Mike, right? Uh, so he goes to work out in like his I guess he has a basement workout thing. Yeah, and it's pretty like, cool. Back in the early issues, he has a workout place in his apartments. Yeah, and it's drawn by Gene Colan, and it looks really neat. So anyway, remember how the mass marauder died? Yeah, me neither. But he died, and like. He left a will. Um, he didn't leave a will. He left a message that said, "If you need, if you read this, it means Daredevil bested me." But Nelson and Murdoch know who Daredevil really is. Go after them, learn their secret, and avenge my defeat. M. So he's got a bunch of minions that have no leader, and they're like, "Yeah, let's do that." Meanwhile, one of the minions sneaks off and goes to talk to this guy, uh, the boss or whatever, and tells them of their plan. And the boss is like, "Oh, we're going to intercept them." We're going to take over, and I'll be the new Mass Marauder kind of guy. Anyway, so they do that. They find the van that's full of Mass Marauder peons, and they shoot out the tires, and they punch them, and they're like, we're in charge now. And the Mass Marauder guys are like, well, we love being led, so yeah, you're in charge. Um, Matt swings to his office as Daredevil. He's he's just as giddy as a, and as excited as Thor was that one time that he declared his love to the whole world. Uh, and it was flying around. Remember that cute scene? Same thing. Um, he only has Matt Murdock clothes in his satchel, though. So he decides, well, that settles it. Matt Murdock will propose. But, you know, 50-50, either way, whatever. <laughs> um, he goes to the office and he senses that Karen was there by her perfume, but not there anymore. And that Foggy is tied up on the floor. He has to make a show of pretending he can't just rush over there and help. So he, there's this big, long, like, oh, where are you, Foggy? I can't find you because I'm blind. And he frees Foggy. 
And Foggy's like, yeah, these guys came in and they grabbed Karen and they said, uh, you know, Daredevil needs to meet him at such and such a place or Karen's toast or whatever. So Matt's like, okay, Foggy, go home and I'll I'll go call Mike or whatever. So he gets in a taxi and he gets taken out to the middle of the woods where there's this house and he dresses up like Daredevil and all big boss or the boss and all his guys are waiting and looking out the door and the window and they see Daredevil like stumbling his way to the front door and then they let him come in and he's like, is anybody there? Like he's motioning around like he can't see. Is anybody there? And they're like, what's going on? Is this Daredevil guy blind? So they grab him and they unmask him. And it's Daredevil. He's even wearing his sunglasses. And or it's Matt Murdock and he's wearing his sunglasses. And he's like, yeah, I I got the message and I, you know, I didn't want you guys to kill the real Daredevil. So I thought I'd come in here and see if I could just trick you or something. And Karen was really impressed by that because remember last time he like sold Mike out, quote unquote. So mm-hmm. now she's like, oh, you risked your life to help Daredevil? That's actually makes me enamored towards you again. Um, they the, the bad guys split them up conveniently. Um, Matt, I keep wanting to call him Mike, but it's actually Matt or maybe it is Mike. Uh, well, for the record, it's always Matt. It's, <laughs> no, I'm I'm just as confused just as he, he is. Sometimes he dresses up a little bit. No, no, he's convinced me that there is a mic. Um, he manages to escape his ropes because he's Daredevil, and then he swings into action and he says something like, you know, the usual thing, like I was able to to get through the back door while you were distracted by that other guy, and I rescued him, and now I'm the real Daredevil. And he fights them and he beats them up because he's awesome. Um, meanwhile, the the mass marauder minions and the boss start fighting each other because once Daredevil's in there, like, you know, every man for himself. But Daredevil ultimately, um, oh, you know what? He gets surrounded by the boss's men and the minions, and he somehow manages to dodge them all so they knock into each other, at which point the boss gives up because he's like, man, if one guy can take out nine dudes, then I, I have no chance. Um, so then we cut to the later in the office and Matt is now not excited anymore because he's thinking to himself, gee, Karen almost died just knowing me. Imagine what it would be like if she was married to me. So I guess I better not propose. And he capsads his way out of the office to the confusion of, of Karen and Foggy. Next, the Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, Matt, we need to have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is wrong on multiple levels. Okay, I have decided that Daredevil has now become the comedy romp of the Marvel Universe. Yes. Like, they're just playing it for laughs. This is ridiculous, but it's meant to be, and it's great. Yeah. That's the only way you can take it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But outside of the Matt and Mike thing, which, by the way, that is crazy enough, like not knowing which persona to propose. Like, you can't propose as Mike. He doesn't exist. There's no paperwork or anything. There's no way to continue that farce. That too, yeah. Like, that doesn't even make sense that it would be a choice. And then, like, at some point, those glasses are going to have to come off, dude. Like, are you going to try to get her to say yes in a pretend face? And then, like, oh, by the way, I'm really that other guy who didn't ask you to marry him. Yeah. Do you still want to marry me? (laughs) But then on top of that, why does he think proposing right now? Like, they've done nothing. But we've had that complaint before. Like, well... I couldn't feel this way about her if she didn't feel the same about me is literally a thought he has. And that's actually very specifically not the way that works. (laughs) Lots of people have feelings for others that are not returned. That's human existence. 
But even if he's right, and in a way he is because we know Karen does like him. Mm-hmm. But still, why don't you feel each other out for a little while for us to see if it's got something that's worth lasting forever, you know? Right, right. Like all you Remember do is foggy, work. Foggy was ready to propose like an issue three or something. Remember that? I know. Like I, like we said, this is totally a Marvel thing. Like if there's a man and a woman in a room, then it's just a given they're going to propose to each other. Mm-hmm. But and it comes from like, nothing. Yeah. Matt or Mike, what's the difference? As long as she says yes. And I'm like, that's a big difference. <laughs> totally different personalities too, by the way. Yeah. And, and you know, he is both characters, so I guess he shouldn't be jealous. But if if Karen really only wanted to marry Mike, wouldn't that be sad for Matt, I would think? Well, okay, so part of it might be that Matt fe- – I think part of it is Matt feels so much freer as Mike. Whatever yeah. – Walls he's built up for himself. He's able to, he's able to throw aside when he's wearing dresses. Mm-hmm. Mike. Now, here's a suggestion, Matt. Just start living like Mike. Be that person if you want to be that person. Well, Mike right yeah. now is an extension of Daredevil, basically, because they all think he is Daredevil. Yeah. So that's how he gets to be when he's Daredevil. But only uh, Foggy and Karen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, but only Foggy and Karen know Mike, as far as I know, unless he goes around to grocery stores and stuff as Mike. <laughs> He's a person that only two people know exists. That's right. So that wedding's going to be really small. I like how Daredevil went by Stan Lee's office. Oh, I forgot about that. The likeness wasn't very good there, but yes, that did happen. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what 1967 Stan looks like. Me neither. I guess it's pre-mustache. I like how it's can't stop now, Stan. I'm in a hurry. Like Daredevil just knows Stan. Like they talk all the time. Maybe he's his lawyer. Or he just like Fantastic Four, he submits story ideas for money once in a while or something. Yeah, because does Stan do Daredevil comics for Daredevil? You, I I have always assumed that anybody who we read comics for has an actual comic book in the universe somehow, but but who knows? Um, there's a thing on page 10. He says, they'd never believe that the old daring Dazzler could be a blind man. And the narrator comes on. The Dazzler was neither blind nor a man. Well, the first Dazzler was a man, but no one ever talks about him. I like that he took a taxi and at first. It kind of made me laugh. But then I started realizing, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like You've got to get around town somehow, right? He he can't really drive. I mean, they've had him fly and drive here and there. But like, I don't think his even his super senses would allow him just to drive around. I feel like that just mm-hmm. couldn't work. So he doesn't have a vehicle. He's not Captain America. He can't jump on. He can't jump on a motorcycle and drive out here. He's not Spider Man. He doesn't swing like that. He does have a billy club, I guess. But there's no trees or anything. So yeah, take a taxi. Take a taxi. Before he takes the taxi, there's a whole scene with Foggy, and he is like so overplaying the blind thing. Like, like you have to convince Foggy that oh, you are really blind. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so overdone in a way that I feel like isn't even necessary. I don't know. I I think like a couple. Lines of dialogue would have done it, but instead they had like five panels of it. Yeah. Now it makes sense in page eleven because there he's like trying to convince everyone else uh-huh. that he's blind as Daredevil. Yeah. And the Batmaniest moment of the issue on page twelve, yeah, where they take off his mask, uh-huh. and he's wearing his sunglasses uh-huh. underneath his mask. I know. That's great. Uh, how does that work? But anyway, have we ever seen Matt without his sunglasses on yet? I don't think or so. Mike? No, I don't think Interesting. so. Interesting. Not just the blindness. I mean, whenever he was younger, but not, yeah. not now. So we don't really know if he's like, if he just covers his eyes because he doesn't know where to look or if he has some sort of disfigurement from the at, the radioactivity or. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know. I think in later contexts, he just his pupils are are not his pupils, his irises are whited out, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't know how to look at things. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing significantly different about his face. Yeah, but um, nowadays, you know, people are free to just have their face be their face, and their eyes are their eyes, even if they're not seeing eyes, they still are eyes. But I guess in the '60s, it was much more conventional to cover all that up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the current. Uh, I guess it just is on a per person basis how they how comfortable they are. Yeah, but here's my thing with the whole Karen trope. Mm-hmm. Karen wasn't in trouble because she knew Matt Murdock. Mm. So going and having a relationship and getting married to Matt Murdock wouldn't actually put her in increased danger. She's in trouble because she knew Daredevil, which. You made happen, Matt, because you made Mike Murdoch and you told everybody that he was Daredevil. So you're the one putting Karen in danger through your shenanigans. Well, it's the same way with like, you know, uh, Peter Parker can get in contact with Spider-Man and Clark Kent get in contact with Superman. Well, here's the thing about the Superman Lois thing is that Lois is Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. uh So if she gets in trouble because of her connection to Superman, has nothing to do with her connection to Clark Kent. So if Clark told her he was Superman and they got married, which is what they do in the you know 90s, it's not going to change her danger status. She's just, you know, anyways. Maybe not Lois, but okay, say I'm a big bad villain and it's like, okay, I want to kill Spider-Man. How can I do that? I want to lure him somewhere. Hey, this Peter Parker guy goes around telling everybody he knows Spider-Man and he takes pictures of him. So I'm going to kidnap Peter Parker or Peter Parker's loved ones. And Kevin Bacon style... That'll get back to Spider-Man. So it's like you're just creating, you're ruining your secret identity idea. <laughs> like, yeah, if you just if you didn't associate your superhero identity with your secret identity loved ones, then there's never a connection, right? But they but they always make a connection. And in this so case, in this case, river. it was really Daredevil's fault because he he slipped and knew the landlord's name, and that's what started all this. Oh yeah, yep. So I don't know. But I don't know how Daredevil knows that. So that's kind of a big jump on his part. Like, isn't he more worried that – shouldn't he be more worried that they somehow connected Karen to Daredevil? Like, he hasn't really questioned that at all. Well, he told Matt Murdo- – he told the Mass Marauder – oh. Okay, he told the Mass Marauder that Mike was Daredevil. But Mass Marauder <gasps> already knew that Karen and Matt oh, that's and right. Foggy were somehow connected. Because they he were left all the, the dirigible. Yeah, that's right. So he, the mass marauder, told everybody else, "Hey, go check out the Nelson and Murdoch office because mm. they know Daredevil." Yeah. Anyways, I'm kind of interested to see how the whole Cobra and Mister Hyde thing plays out. Uh, I feel yeah. like they might fit Daredevil better than Thor. I agree. That sounds more fun to me too. I remember when Hyde have- first started coming around Thor, and it seemed like they were trying to make him Thor's like main villain, but it never really clicked for me. No, it's only two or three, maybe two appearances, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Fantastic 464. Mm-hmm. 64 is one of my favorite numbers because it is both a square and a cube. And those don't mm. happen very often. Wow. Um, but it's even. Square and it is also even, yes. I don't like that. I'm an odd number. Oh, a cube guy. that's even? I don't know why. <laughs> the Sentry Sinister. I've been waiting for this issue for so long. Okay. Another really? Majestic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. As we were approaching the introduction of the century, I was like, ooh, because this opens so many doors. How can the fabulous vacationing FF survive the deadly attack of the century sinister? Another majestic mind-expanding Marvel masterwork. 
powerfully produced by the proudest names in all of comicdom, Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby, invincibly inked by Jovial Joe Sinnott, lethargically lettered by adorable Artie Simic. So, um, Reed and Ben are working on this giant power core that powers the negative zone barrier, and it's this humongous thing that couldn't possibly fit into the upper penthouse suite of a Baxter building. But, you know, we're just going to keep on going with it. And um, Sue's like, this is really kind of tiresome and I want to get away. And Reed's like, okay, let's get away. Let's take a vacation. That sounds like a great idea. I mean, our honeymoon to the Hamptons worked out really well. So we should definitely go take a vacation. Meanwhile, a couple of random dudes are looking for archaeological evidence of an ancient civilization that once ruled the earth known as the Cree. And they find it. They open up a door with a who's he wants it uh, glowy thing. And um, a, a lift platform rises up out of the ground. They go into the lift platform, which sinks back down into the ground. They find this huge underground installation. And in there, it is being guarded by Intergalactic Sentry 459, whose mission is to protect the base. And he cannot be harmed because he's a sentry. And so he freezes the two dudes in a block of uh, not ice, but some impervious solid substance. Back at headquarters, Fantastic Four, Reed is like, um, okay, Ben, you get to pick our vacation spot. And Ben's like, okay, I can't think of one. So I'm going to tie on this blindfold and... Throw a dart at this map of the world. And Reed says, okay, you hit a random island in the Pacific Ocean. Let's go there. <laughs> so they do. <laughs> Triton shows up with Johnny and Crystal. Um, and they're not going to go on the trip. They just brought the stuff for Ben and Reed and Sue. Uh, ben and Reed and Sue can't do a regular plane or something. So they take their pogo plane. I think all the planes are booked up. Uh, they take the pogo plane to the random island in the Pacific Ocean and check it out, kids. It's the exact same island those dudes were on that they met the Cree sentry underneath. So as they approach the island, the sentry's there. It's like, oh, no incoming aircraft. I'm going to blast it. So he blasts them. And he's out there being, oh, a full page splash of my sentry body. Check out. I'm so cool. And the Fantastic Three jump out of the plane. They fight the sentry. Um, the fight goes underwater, uh, while they're still fighting, Johnny and Crystal are making out back at the apartment. Triton flies off on a jet cycle to go see the Inhumans. Um, Lockjaw shows up, wants to get on, on the, on the lovin'. And Johnny's like, go away, you stupid dog. And then the phone rings and it's Skype. And Sue says, Johnny, we need your help. We're in this island in the South Pacific and there's this terrible danger. And Johnny's like, okay. Uh, we got to get there. Triton just uh, left. I can't get him to look after you. Um, and Chris was like, well, how about I go with you and we take Lockjaw? And Johnny's like, Lockjaw, great idea, but you still have to stay home. So back at the island, the Fantastic Four are still fighting the Sentry. And Johnny shows up with his firepowers. He turns the ocean around the beach into vapor. He turns sand into glass. He shoots fire at the Sentry. Um, they find the two dudes trapped in the cube of stuff. So they bust those guys out and um, they don't defeat the sentry. They just use Lockjaw to get away from the island. And the sentry is just standing there. Okay. Um, there's destruction all about me. I failed. I didn't protect my outpost. 
Um, so no one knows where the Kree are. Maybe they're dead. Maybe they just left. I don't know. But this is Ripley signing off. And he dies, I guess. Next, the mystery of Alicia. Stanley's robots are very introspective, aren't they? Robots are so moody. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, like they the always talk bots. about how they, I have to do this because of my programming, but here's my opinions about everything. It's like, you don't sound like a robot to me. They should take the test. Are you really a robot? <laughs> Maybe I'm not. I think you're sentient. You see, should just do what any, you want. Are there traffic lights in that picture? Are there bicycles? Mm. Okay. So the sentry. Uh-huh. The Cree. So is this is true get, then? It's true what? I didn't know that the Cree were supposedly like rulers of Earth at some point. I never knew that. They were here for a while. They're not from Earth. But no. they were here for a while, and we're going to find out more about that as we get to the Inhumans' origin. I never knew that either. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't, but like, like always, my, my cosmic uh, knowledge is pretty weak sauce, so. Blue I know who the moon? Kree are. I know who the Kree are, yeah. And the scrolls. They're, connect, they're connected to the blue area of the moon. They're connected to a lot of stuff. So once we Ooh. open this door, we've got Ronan the Accuser coming. We've got Captain Marvel coming. We've got the Inhumans origin story getting expanded upon. We've got lots of stuff. So that's something I'm really excited about this. Yeah, it was cool. They're like the Prometheus of uh, Marvel or something, I guess. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, that power core is really big. <laughs> and I was yeah. looking at that picture thinking, don't they live in an office building? <laughs> yeah, Reed's all about the big machinery, though. Good thing he's got Ben to, he really like, is. to move everything, I guess. Susan makes an interesting point about timelines, because... Reading this panel, you would think, like, this was almost immediately after the last issue, like maybe a few hours of labor. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, they've been working for a week. Mm. So I guess it just helps to illustrate that stories can take place over a larger span of time than might be at first obvious. I like that they both bicker and then they both make up. I actually like the mm-hmm. relationships and interactions in this a lot. In fact, this is a pretty good story except for, you know, the convenience of – randomly go into the one place you know that was kind of silly but outside of that right and honestly ben gets to pick the place okay i'm fine with that ben chooses the place by randomly throwing a dart at a map and you go with it yeah like that's 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 kind of funny yeah it's neat that triton and uh as much as i don't really love the inhumans i'm kind of liking the idea that triton and crystal are just going to hang around for a while it is pretty cool it did make me wonder though where the other hanger arounder they had recently ended up. Wyatt Wingfoot? Yeah, where'd he go? Back to school. Back to, back to school, <laughs> but isn't Johnny supposed to be in school then? He's here. I don't know. That's true. Now, we did see Wyatt at the game where Crystal and Lockjaw showed up when she was still looking for Johnny. Yeah. The one where Peter Parker makes a brief appearance in the stands. Right. And Mary Jane's little face is behind him. Um, so, yeah, he is at school. Johnny's just not. Yeah. Well, you know, Wyatt can't be around forever, but it would have been interesting if he at least said goodbye or something. He's been with us for issue after issue, mm-hmm. and now he's just gone. So that was a little weird. But I like seeing other characters walking around in the in the, the plaza. It was kind of neat. Now, we didn't talk about Alicia in the recap, but she's mentioned as being out of town. Um, Susan on page five says, Rita just spoke to Johnny. He and Crystal would prefer to remain in New York. They really haven't had a chance to be alone since they found each other again. I think Triton's been chaperoning 
unwelcome Liso. Uh-huh. Trident says he'd better remain also to look after Lockjaw while Crystal and Johnny are dating. Um, then Reed says, with Alicia out of town, Ben would only get into trouble without us. Mm-hmm. Even waiting for this vacation as eagerly as we have. So um, we don't really know where Alicia has been, but we haven't seen her very much. That's Silver That's Surfer. Silver Surfer, yeah. And that was brief. Mm-hmm. So the whole mystery of Alicia next issue, I'm not really sure what the spawn of that mystery is, but I guess we'll find out next month. Yeah, but I was happy to see that caption because, yeah, when I read this page, I was like, how come we don't have Alicia? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's good that we're at least going to get some. I don't know in what form, but. I hope she and Ben have made out okay between issues because we, we haven't seen a lot of positive interaction with them in a while. Mm. Speaking of sexism, even I'm sexist because I'll admit this. On page seven, when they had their plane get snatched or attacked by the sentry before mm-hmm. before it got to panel three, I was thinking in my head, "Oh, how are they going to survive this?" And my brain went like, "Oh, you know, Mister Fantastic could wrap himself around Sue, and Ben won't die from a plane crash. That's probably what they're going to do." And then I totally forgot that Invisible Girl could do something and save them. But <laughs> so that I was like, "Oh, Mike, you're really bad because you had all three of them in that thing. Of course, Invisible Girl could save them from a plane crash." Well, it's like panel two. We've all forgotten the one thing that might save us, yeah. including Mike. Including Mike. I was totally like, oh, my God, you called me out. I wasn't even thinking of that option. Happily, she comes up with the idea of the force field rather than Reed. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's, she needs to be written as doing stuff without being told what to do. Yeah. It was a fun fight. I liked the centuries, uh, you know, just kept getting bigger and bigger and more dangerous. Yeah. But uh, – I think, as always, the stuff that shines for me on Fantastic Four is, like, the quieter moments. So Mm -hmm. uh, page 14 and 15 were very awesome to me, how they're just kind of, like, trying to make out, and then the dog shows up, and then Johnny's an idiot, and she's like, "Um, we have a teleporting dog. And then he tries to make it work, and the dog just sits there yawning and uncooperating. (laughs) I don't know. That was all good stuff. I was a little bit put off by Crystal's creepy open eyes during the kiss. Could be culture. Culture? I don't know. Could be. Could be. Maybe she's really evil. Maybe she's really a scroll. So why didn't Crystal come? Johnny said Uh, earlier that he was going to take the one-man missile so Crystal should stay behind. But he didn't take the one-man missile. So why isn't she on the island? That would have been nice, right? She could have helped out. Something with the elements. She could have done something there. Even if she only did like one you know, fight move, just having her there and present in the story would have just acknowledged her, you know, as being around. Yeah, I hope she doesn't just get relegated to, like, the girlfriend in between action. If she's going to be around, I hope she participates. Right. uh, I think she joins the team. I think she's the first new Fantastic Four member. For sure. But I don't know when that happens. Is that 10 years from now or tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know. And and she joins the team to replace Johnny. So, oh, no. She replaces Invisible Woman? I think she replaces Sue. I think it's when Sue is pregnant. Okay, so we got a ways probably. I don't know. Um, Johnny says on page 18 that he's had a lot of practice with sand because mm-hmm. of the Sandman. Mm-hmm. And it says, if you don't remember, shame on you. It was just a few issues ago. And I'm like, and an issue or two of Strange Tales and a time or two with Spider-Man plus all the Frightful Fool stories. So, yeah, he's had plenty of practice fighting the Sandman. I was actually thinking of the Strange Tales. And then they said a few issues ago. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He was actually in this with book the a few thing. issues ago. Yeah. Forgot all about mm-hmm. that because he had a weird outfit. Page 19, how does Reed Richards know what he's talking about? This issue was once, or this aisle was once dominated by the Kree. They obviously kept their main energy and power supply beneath the Earth. He just knows no. that? 
When was yeah. this discovered by him? And if he I does just know that, know. why did he come here? Right. How did Reed did discover that? That's really bizarre. Mm-hmm. I think they just slapped that on there. I'm pretty sure there was no discovery, unless it was off-camera 20 years ago or something. Maybe he and the Cree sentry did a lot of trash-talking back and forth. <laughs> I mean, if this scientist guy who's in the ice cage knows, then I can see how Reed could know, because he's probably smarter. But still, if he does he's- know, then how? why did he come here without explaining that to anybody? Right. How did he associate this particular island with those facts at if some he didn't point know it was this island when they came here he should have said gee thing your dart picked the one area that used to be dominated by an alien race called the Cree. let's go <laughs> but he didn't say that so the sentry has been here for some 25,000 years i looked okay. it up okay uh-huh and we are going to see him play into the history of the inhumans in a few months cuz we're going to get their origin story in thor so sentry 459 I don't think he ever plays like an active role in the story going forward because he ends here. But his presence here is like a one of those put a pin in it aspects of history. The Kree leaving the center here is just one of those things that gets referred to a lot. Mm. But yeah, I'm excited for where we're going to go next. The Kree is cool. I'd like to they learn are. more about them. And I hope that learning isn't the same as learning more about the Inhumans because that has been kind of a letdown. But <laughs> the Kree could be exciting. They are blue. They have that going for them. All right. Um, so next episode? Is it time for next episode talk? Yeah, I guess so. Next episode, we're going to cover four more stories. We're going to cover The Avengers 41. Oh, wait a second. Okay, I said all that. We actually made it under our, 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 our timeline here. Mm-hmm. Our one hour, 15 minute. Like, you want to do one more? Do you want to? We could. Do you go ahead and just like throw it in? You've already read it, right? Yeah. I've read every you issue of the Avengers Marvel 41. Universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, then what, let me make a quick timestamp, Tomic, because I'm going to edit those um, comments out. And um, so I'll just say, okay. so we um, we've gone a, just a little bit short. We're just barely over an hour here. So we're going to go ahead and do our thing we've done a couple times before and throw on one more issue because like you can't chaos. have too much fun. That's right. Well, so I guess that's on me then, right? Doing? Oh, yeah, which means I'll be first again. You like you will not first. only be first again, but you get to cover one of the coolest your favorite character comics ever. That's <gasps> next month. That's next week. That's next episode. You would, have, you would have covered him anyway, but maybe not first. But now it's going to be first, which is a good leadoff. But this is a good ending. So, no, it's not. Fantastic Four would have been a better ending. But let's end on this one anyway. The Avengers number 41 featuring <laughs> Di- Diablo and the ever-delightful Dragon Man. Let sleeping dragons lie. Oh, my gosh. Look at all this stuff to read. Okay. We were going to begin our Tintinabu. Tintinabulating. Tintinabulating. Whatever, Stan. Tail with the usual synopsis. Then we remembered that there's nothing to recap. So let's say we start from scratch together, frantic one. See, I didn't have to read that. Okay, Stan Lee majestically moguls over a Roy Thomas, John Buscema masterpiece of the matchless Marvel magnificence, inked with dragon power by George Bell, lettered with dragging feet by Artie Simek. Okay, true believers, it's epic time again. Ready, set, go. So the Avengers are training, as is Hercules, but Hercules is basically kind of just sitting on a bench and casually throwing, like, 
8,000 ton barbell over his head as if it were just like a juggle ball or something. And at some point, uh, Hawkeye's testing a new bow and he messes up a little bit or a combination of him messing up a little bit and Hercules not paying attention. The bow, the arrow kind of pings near Hercules' face. He's kind of okay with that, but he's also kind of like, you're not very good with the bow, are you? Let me show you how to do it because other than Apollo, I'm the best in all of Olympus. And he starts to use it, but his strength is too much and he snaps it, which really annoys Hawkeye. So then he's like, well, let me just try the steel bar instead. And he creates a makeshift arrow and he shoots this piece of equipment that apparently Hawkeye and Cap one day spent, you know, hours trying to set up. Not to mention Tony Stark paid billions of dollars to buy. So Hawkeye is getting hotheaded and he gets in Hercules' face. Hercules is also a hothead, so he gets right back. Quicksilver breaks it up. Uh, and they go their separate ways. And Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are left to be like, maybe Cap would have done better. Maybe not. We don't know. Uh, we think Hawkeye is really just upset that Black Widow is is a bad girl again. Speaking of, Black Girl, Black Girl, Bad Girl, Black Widow is showing up in uh, an unnamed Far Eastern power place. She has this jet that she stole last issue. She reports to the main guy. He takes her by limo and shows her the place. He's got what's called a psychotron, which is supposedly better. Makes the hydrogen bomb look like child's play. What's the what's the psychotron do? Well, we're gonna find out because it turns out they're not really fooled by Black Widow's um, double treachery or double agent thing going on. They know that she's there by way of shield. So they toss her into the psychotron and they turn it on and it basically makes her scream and show like all these crazy images and makes her go mad. So that's the last we see of Black Widow for this issue. We got Goliath. Is that his name? Yeah. Goliath and Wasp who were not in the beginning because they're off doing their own thing. They're at Henry Pym's laboratory. You know, that thing that's like in the backyard that we still haven't really pinned down yet. Anyway, he's getting a big giant delivery and the delivery is Dragon Man. And Dragon Man is, you know, like a statue. And Wasp is like, what's up with you and this? And he's like, he recounts Dragon Man's origin and its fight with Fantastic Four. And he's like, and then when I found out about it, you know, Reed decided to let me borrow him because as a biochemist, I'm really into androids. Uh, and she's like, Wasp was like, well, what about that Diablo guy that goes along with this Dragon Man? He's like, ah, don't worry about him. But as he's saying that, Diablo is like right across the street. He uses his gun to turn a building into gold. That attracts the entirety of Manhattan, including Goliath and Wasp, and they leave Dragon Man alone, um, which means Diablo can confront or you know invade this backyard laboratory they have. The only person there is Bill Foster. He has no chance. So Diablo knocks him out, and he awakens the Dragon Man just in time for Goliath to come back because he was on to him. Um Wasp gets knocked out immediately. Dragon Man and Goliath go toe-to-toe back and forth. Um, Goliath is having a hard time of it. He does as best he can, and he lasts a really long time, but he just gets more and more tired, and eventually he's too weak, and he gets knocked out by the Dragon Man. So they have Goliath, they have the Wasp, and one of them managed to set off an alarm or something because then Hawkeye shows up and Quicksilver shows up, and Scarlet Witch shows up, and Hercules does not show up because he was too moody and didn't want to come, and he's not an Avenger, so they can't make him. Um, Diablo shoots his gun and turns the ceiling gold, 
which makes it too heavy, so it crashes on Quicksilver, Hawkeye, and Scarlet Witch, at which point Dragon Man and Diablo escape with Goliath and the Wasp. Luckily, I think it was Quicksilver who saved them by moving them out of the way a little bit, but they still had to unbury themselves. And by the time they do, Diablo, Dragon Man, and his hostages are gone. Next issue, The Plan and the Power. A two-part Diablo story. That might be a first. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that it merits it. He wasn't as annoying this time as he usually is for me. No, no, he wasn't. And it was mainly about Dragon Man. Diablo was almost second to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized when I was looking at this cover, this is 41. Yeah. 41 is almost 50. Yeah. 50 is almost 57. Yeah. That's the vision. Wow. So it's not super close, but it's not super far either. This is the one team book where like the roster is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, X-Men have been the X-Men. Fantastic Four, of course, never change. I mean, they will, of course, but Until they're they not, do, yeah. not, not anytime soon. But yeah, the Avengers are just changing. And that just got me thinking, like, because I know as an Avengers fan, I love a good roster change. And I know that other Avengers fans do, too, because back in the day when people used to make websites, that was one of the things we all poured over, like... When was so-and-so an Avenger and when was he not? And when were they honorary and when were they official? And I was like, do other fans of team books do this or is it just an Avengers thing? And if it is just an Avengers thing, is this why? Because since the beginning, the roster is always changing or I don't know. Like I can't think of X-Men fans being obsessed by rosters. Um, I've seen a session with um, who has been an X-Man and who has not. Mm-hmm. As far as, because there are lots of characters who are in X books, mm-hmm. but have they been actual X Men? Oh, um, as opposed to X Force or X something else, or right, right. So, uh, but yeah, the roster changes. With, that is a big thing with the Avengers, and when you have a new Fantastic Four team, that happens less often than the Avengers. So it's kind of made more of a big deal out of it. But those always are temporary. You always get yeah. back to your core four eventually. Right, the Avengers there's don't always have a core a, four. That's right. And neither do the X-Men, I guess. Neither do the Defenders, sort of. But no one cares about Defenders or Champions. But uh, <laughs> now we're going to get letters. I care. It's my favorite team. Good. Let it be your favorite team. Yeah. That's fine if you um, – Hercules so is not as nice as he has been. He's getting grumpy pants. He is very grumpy pants in this. Very morose and mm-hmm. like – I don't know if they just gave him a lot to do in the beginning because he's not really in the rest of the issue as opposed to other recent issues where he's kind of dominated. Mm-hmm. That's this what is, I thought was going to mm-hmm. happen is – is and that would have made me roll my eyes if they did it twice. Like he says, no, I'm not coming. And then like on the last two pages, he'd come in and save the day. And it's like they just did that. Right. So I'm glad but, that didn't happen. This is almost a um, Goliath-focused issue. Mm-hmm. There's people at the beginning and there's people at the end. But like the middle half – you know, when you have the left half of the bed and the right half of the bed, but somebody sleeps in the middle half of the bed. The middle half of this issue is Goliath versus Dragon Man and Diablo. Yeah. And that's a Wasp pretty good, gets to do one thing. Pretty good fight for Goliath. Yeah. Um, now, I cannot kind of sort of only a little bit remember what the heck a Dragon Man is. Like, Okay. Because remember his origin involved Diablo and it was sort of stupid. I think he was... Was he a statue or something? I think he was just a statue that Uh Diablo brought to life. Right. I could be wrong. And now Goliath calls him a powerful android, which, you know, those definitions are hard to figure out sometimes. An android, Mm -hmm. like, versus a robot, versus a cyborg. 
I don't see how he's an android exactly. If he's just a statue that was brought to life. I'm just going to go back and look at the issue because I don't want to be completely wrong. Uh, Because there's that one where Reed went to go visit State University. Exactly. Yes. That's what happened. um, And Diablo like came out of the rocks. Uh And let's see. Somebody. I intend to reduce this. No, hold on. Um, Where is the dragon? (coughs) Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Okay. He has made a lifeless creature. Can you think of the powers it would possess if it lived? So it was like a model, right? Yeah, he's like, I have this creation. It has the power. I, I, it has no life. It combines the greatest powers I can give an artificial creation. A mighty tail, built-in heat reactors which emit flame at the touch of a button, wings which... Okay, so there are some mechanical or electronic components within it, but it's okay. basically a statue. And he animates it. So it's not really an android the way we think of androids. No. And an android, I guess, could be all organic as long as it's artificial. Mm -hmm. So what I was just wondering here, because the thing about Hank is what I always find interesting is like he is a biochemist, at least least initially, and yet he invents Ultron, right? Which isn't really – doesn't really jive with what his deal is. So is this like – the first dabbling of him, like going that direction, but then I'm thinking Dragon Man isn't really a robot, so maybe not. It definitely feels like it's setting that up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is his first dis- dis- uh, discussion of wanting to mess with, um, you know, artificial life or whatever you want to call it, and that's going to be something he is very majorly associated with uh-huh. come the future as a biochemist. I really want to know what makes this powerful android tick. And I was just like, is that what you would want? I guess so. (laughs) But yeah, he's not like a machine. So I guess maybe he's just, I don't know, trying to figure out the chemistry of how this non-living thing is living. But it's not. This is what it seems like to me. Yeah. Um, So the the Scarlet Witch was really sick last issue and couldn't Mm -hmm. do anything. They were all worried about her powers. And now she's just better. That was a bummer. I think we even asked, we even like surmised that that was what was going to happen and we were going to be annoyed by it. And I was. She was just like, like I got over it. 24 hour virus kills your powers and now you're better. Mm -hmm. So she was basically just put off to the side for no reason. Um, Black Widow was ordered by the Eastern communist country to destroy the Avengers. She did not do so. She is back. And they leave her in a really precarious situation. She's being blasted by brainwashing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that does not bode well for her future. I'm sorry, um, ambiguous Eastern military leader guy. If you gave me the choice of suffering your psychotron or suffering a hydrogen bomb, I pick your psychotron. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) How is this even like it doesn't explode? How can you talk about it in comparison with the hydrogen bomb? works on one person at a time seemingly too maybe not maybe more but yeah it's just like makes weird visuals you know how hydrogen bombs are a really big deal my car is that awesome that's how awesome my car is it just doesn't work you can't really compare Right. right 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 i found that weird it looked really cool until they started using it but yeah and they leave her that way for the month yeah, poor Black Widow. I do like that we're getting her continued adventures, though. That's kind of neat. Yes, yes. Kind of kind of like the Inhumans over in Fantastic Four, but we care more. We do care more. It is weird they're doing that, though, because she's not an Avenger, never has been an Avenger. So it's kind of weird that we're just continuing to get her Back tale. Stories. 
within mm-hmm. the Avengers, but she's not even Hawkeye's girlfriend anymore, really. And when she comes back, I mean, I, I don't really remember, so this isn't really a spoiler, but I think when she comes back, I don't know, I think they're done. I could be wrong. We'll see how it goes. I believe she's an Avenger at some point, but I don't know when. Bill Foster is here. We have not seen him since he and Hank made up after the Sons of the Serpent incident. So that's circa issue 33, 34. Uh-huh. And we're not going to see him again until issue 54, which is over a year away. Oh, my goodness. That's, so, what a shame. Yeah. He doesn't get much of a showing he's, here either, but I was glad to at least see him. He thanks assistant. He helps unbox Dragon Man, and he gets attacked. That's it. That's it. Um, there, Dragon Man and Diablo were both introduced in Fantastic Four thirty five, but there was one other Dragon Man adventure while Diablo was in the um, in the whirlpool. He was in that stretch of issues that first showed us Gorgon chasing Medusa, right, and gave us the introduction in humans. Mm-hmm. During that fight, the Seeker thought he might be an Inhuman, so the Seeker like captured him for a while. Mm. We get John um, Buscema drawing Avengers. That's a first, right? No, he's been here for a while. John Buscema? He's been, yeah, he came no. on with Hercules. Did he really? Have I just not noticed? I think so. I thought it was well, Don we, Heck this whole time. Yeah, Don Heck was John last Buscema issue. On the John Buscema was on the oh, Hulk. Oh, he was on Buscema was on the Hulk. That's what it was. He was on the Hulk. Okay, you're right. 41 is, is his first Avengers. Yes. Which I think is cool because my favorite Avengers is Roger Stern and John Buscema. So at some point he'll come back. Or maybe I don't think he stays on this mm-hmm. entire time, but um, and and you know his style is pretty much is, there. Yeah, it's some pretty good fighting. He, I, he refines a little bit. I kind of don't like his Dragon Man. Dragon Man face looks weird in this issue for some reason. Even that cover seems wrong, but I don't know. Outside of that, I liked it. No, you're right. The dragon face does look a little off. It's not the usual one. He's on this series until after the Vision, 62. So that's 22 oh, wow. issues of the Avengers. And I think I'm an miss, annual uh, in there, too. I mean, I loved John Buscema, but I did, I did enjoy Don Heck as well. So it's like, hmm, do we have any Don Heck left? Is he re- drawing anything anymore? I'm just looking him up right now. Um, 1967. He's not on Iron Man anymore. Uh, what else was he, he doing? He is, uh, he's going to do a handful of issues of the X-Men. Wow. He does one more Avengers. Okay. He draws Spider-Man for a little <gasps> while, 58 through 64. What? Because Ramita, just, you need yeah, a vacation? Well, okay, so here's the thing about Ramita, and this is not the Spider-Man chapter, but he, um, he is the penciler for a while, and then he's the inker for a while after that. Oh. So even on issues that he's not penciling, he's still leaving his stamp on the art style. He's just making so, less decisions. Um, Don, yeah. Don Heck seems to bounce around from issue to issue. doesn't seem to spend more than six months on any particular book. Mm, bummer. For a while. Yeah, he's, he's kind of done with his runs. Well, I enjoyed him a lot. That's a In bummer. fact, that's one of the things I've learned about from doing this show is that I am a Don Heck fan, which I never knew before. Mm-hmm. But, but oh, well, goodbye, Don Heck, sort of. Goodbye. But, you know, being um, replaced by John Buscema, that's pretty great, too. So, Who's also going to be doing Submariner. He's also going to be doing Silver Surfer. Hmm. John Buscema is going to be a big-time Marvel artist for a oh, while yeah. to come. Oh, yeah. What else do we have? Did we know that um, Bill Foster worked for Tony Stark previously? Did we learn that when we met him? That does not sound familiar to me. Did they say that in this issue? Yeah, they mentioned it on page 11. Uh, oh. He says... 
I miss One that. thing about being lab assistant to High Pockets, there's never a dull moment. Why even working for Tony Stark wasn't. Oh, wow. And that's it. But there was, there was some way that Hank found out that Bill Foster would be a good assistant. So I don't know if that was a Tony Stark recommendation or what. I can't oh, remember oh, what that you was. You know, that actually does sound familiar now that you say that. I think he actually called Tony to have Tony send somebody over that he liked. Oh, that does sound familiar. Yeah. Okay. Well, spoilers, he will work for Tony Stark again mm. after he leaves Hank's side. When does uh, he become Goliath? His, 1982. He is working for Tony Stark and tries to duplicate the pin particles. He has the formula oh. memorized, and he's able to replicate it in a lab, and that's when he becomes Goliath. Nice. Okay, so the, I was thinking, it's kind of funny, not really funny, but kind of, page 10, uh-huh. Goliath and the Wasp shrink down to small size, and they're surrounded by shoes. And uh-huh. I was thinking about a time when Ant-Man did this way back in like the second or third issue. Uh-huh. And he was actually pretty skilled at dodging shoes. Like I'd expected shoes to be more of a concern for him <laughs> at the yeah. time than uh-huh. they were. And now he's like, oh, my God, people are walking. Yeah, out of practice. Yeah, out of practice. And he's not riding an ant. That makes and a I big like, difference. I like that the wasp who's right next to him doesn't seem as concerned. In fact, she's just like, watch it, Hank. Like, she's used to this size, and she has wings, so she could escape if she had to. Right. She is a, she, well, all she's done is shrink, right? So she's been shrinking this whole time, whereas mm-hmm. Hank's all been like, Goliath, man. He's not used to being Ant-Man. Oh, Jan. The only thing about the Wasp in this issue is that she only gets one lick in on um, uh-huh. uh, Diablo before he knocks her out of the fight, and then it's just Goliath the whole time. She steals Spider-Man's twip. She does. Twip, I mean, not twip. Thief. Um, and the end of the issue, when they're flying off, um, he says that he's going to go execute his flawless, infallible plan. Something tells me it will neither be flawless nor infallible, <laughs> but possibly deadly, like the Scarlet Witch says, if he can make it work. Team up with the mad so thinker. Were- <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I do, for some reason, whenever I think about the Dragon Man and where he came from, my brain always tends to go to the mad thinker and the awesome android. For oh, some yeah. reason, and that's yeah. not at all nope. what's, what's true. Nope. Yeah, as much as we don't necessarily love Diablo, we do get the Dragon Man out of him, so that's kind of cool. I've always thought that is cool. Me, I like him, and I like modern treatments of him. He's fun. But I think that's probably a good place to end the episode. What do you think? Yes. Now we've gone too good. far. We have to cut some back. Oh, no. Edit it for content and to fit yeah. your screen. We'll stop halfway through our Avengers review and just cut it off. All right, so next week, next episode, four more stories. We're going to finish up April 1967 with the biggest Amazing Spider-Man issue yet, issue 50. Then we're going to pick up May with Sergeant Fury 44, Strange Tales 159, and Tales of Suspense 92. It's another double Nick episode, kids. we got to come up with a better catchphrase for that, but that happens often, and... We need to come up with something. A double nick. A double. I don't know. It's not working. Something clever. No. Dang it. Well, you know, Spider-Man's going to have double issues in 1968. He's going to have that second series for two issues. So we'll have some double uh, Spider-Man in there, too. Double Spidey. Yeah. All right. Where can they find us if they want to hear more episodes? Type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast app. Um, but if you'd like, we also have a website we... Worked hard on it at one point, though now it kind of just does its thing. But you can check that out at makearsmarvel.com. And from there, you can find links to those apps or an RSS feed, or you can find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. Of course, you can find 
every episode on the website, which are all playable. And lastly, and maybe the best part, you can find a contact form where you can reach out and send us your thoughts. We love to hear them. Uh, use the contact form or write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. You can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. You can find Mike on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. You can find my other podcasts I do on my Twitter um, and also the various websites, amazingspiderman.lipson.com, goldenishsuperman.lipson.com, and new52superman.lipson.com are all back. This is the last time I'm going to mention those guys. Um, one thing I forgot to mention is that we have a PayPal link on the website. So if you would like to give a donation to the show to help things run over here, that is always appreciated. I want to send a uh, big shout out to Blaine Dowler for his donation. Thank you so much, Blaine. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that wraps us up. Oh, I forgot to mention there's also the Transformers show, Return to Cybertron at Transformers UK podcast. That's also out there. Okay. So next episode, we've already told what we're going to do. So I think I'm running out of things to say. I'm just going around in circles now. Please, Mike, <laughs> stop me. What am I going to do? Until next time, or... Until next time, or... Until Mike Murdoch. I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> until Matt Murdoch, see, but I don't even know who he is, decides the best way to convince people he's not Daredevil is by wearing an I'm Not Daredevil t-shirt. Make ours marvel. marvel.